Hello, everybody, and welcome to a special bonus episode of Cinemaholics. I am not your usual host, John Negroni, but your regular co-host, Will Ashton. And while John Negroni is unfortunately no longer, uh, <laughs> no longer, he's here. He's just not here right now. But uh, I am joined by two great guests of the podcast. You've heard them before, but I don't think you two have been on the show at the same time, to the best of my recollection. But if you know otherwise, please let me know. First, uh, it's a regular friend of the show, Corey Woodruff. Hey, Corey. Howdy, Will. How are you? I'm good. I am, uh, you know, just making it in this crazy world we live in. I guess that's like a qualifier you have to say these days. Sure. And someone asks you how you're doing, you're like, well, I'm good, all things considered. Okay, well, that's the best you can hope for in 2020. And uh, you've yes. heard him just this last episode. He was talking to John Negroni about New Mutants and Bill and Ted Face the Music. Now he's here talking about Tenet, so he's giving us a twofer this week. It is Charlie Ridgely. Hello, 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 hello. How are you guys? I must admire your commitment for joining us for not one, but two episodes this week. We really appreciate it. Hey, I'm always down to talk with the cinema hall. Oh, well, we appreciate that. And it sounds like this one <laughs> might be a bit contentious because we're talking uh, about Christopher Nolan's Tenet, which is now in theaters and drive-ins across the country. Um, I mean, I have to stress that, you know, if you are going to be going to a theater... Uh, you know, take the utmost precautions. Uh, I know internationally it's playing some theaters where it's a lot safer than it is in the U.S., but right now, I mean, I would recommend personally going to a drive-in or just waiting, but if you do plan to see it in theaters, uh, you know, please follow all the procedures, all the precautions that are put into place. Obviously, wear a mask, you know, social distance as much as you can, and, uh, you know, do everything that you need to do to be as safe as possible. But yeah, I mean, I can't tell you not to because all three of us have seen the movie and we all saw it in theaters, I believe. Um, correct me if, if I'm wrong, but I know I saw it in a theater with only about maybe five or so people in attendance. I believe that's pretty similar to the experience that you two had seeing the film as well, right? Well, I know on my end, I went and saw it at like a five o'clock showing in a big like 27 screen theater um in my town of nashville which is where charlie also lives and i went with two other people and in our row there was us in the middle one dude sitting way at the end and another person sitting way at the other end and probably seven eight people kind of scattered throughout the midsection of the theater so i can't say mine was like exactly empty um, but like for a five showing on a Tuesday and like a theater that seats probably 350 to 400 seats, um, it was very, very spacious. I went into like a premium format, not quite IMAX, but um, yeah, I feel like it's hard to, I don't know, talk about this movie without talking about the theatrical experience and not to spend too much time on it. But mine was, you know, it was very much like you were aware of what was going on, but I had a hard time focusing on the pandemic for like two and a half hours because I was just so focused on the movie. It was a very locked in experience, but it's like as soon as the lights went up and you went back outside, it's like you would see people wearing masks and everything kind of like came back into focus. Like, oh, <laughs> we're still in a pandemic. I literally just went to a theater for the first time in six months. So it was it was strange, hmm. but I just... I've done things in the pandemic, I guess, that made me feel much more nervous than my experience Tuesday, which I will, it'll be different from everybody, of course, but that's just kind of my experience with it. Yeah. And I've been trying to only, I only want to go to a movie if there's only a few people in it. Um, I was, I was going to go to the one with Corey. I actually had a ticket purchased to go to the show with Corey. Um, but, uh, my company, comic um, 
had partnered with Warner Brothers to do a thing like uh, one of the guys on the site did some interviews with the tenant cast and stuff. So he had one of those. He had a, a, a screening early and he had talked to whoever and Warner Brothers is really, really kind and gracious to us. And so they set up a uh, a screening for our staff. So um, we went and there was probably 12 to 15 people. Maybe not that many, maybe 10. I'm bad at numbers. Um, there was a good handful of people, but they were all from our office. Um, so they're all people that I knew really well. Um, all friends of mine, all, you know, we've all been following all the rules and we had, we had to do, you know, a safety check and health check before we came because it was a work event. So, um, you know, it was, it was more than I normally would feel super comfortable with, but it was a situation where like we were all in the same boat and we all knew each other. And so it was a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, I'm, I'm kind of of the mindset of, you know, I'm trying yeah. to not go to the movies. There's nothing else I really need to see in, for another, for a while. But, uh, even then it would only, I would only want to go if I knew I could be one of just a handful of people in a theater. Um, you know, any more than that. And it's like, I, I'll think about that the yeah. whole time and not the movie and I won't want to be there. Um, so it's, it's a weird like line to tiptoe. Yeah. I mean, for me personally, like, yeah, I, because I went to a press screening and I knew everyone would keep their mask on. They wouldn't be eating or taking their mask off to like, you know, consume any concessions. The concessions weren't even open when I went to see the film. I felt very fortunate to have an experience where I could see us in theaters. That's a little bit safer than everyone else's. But I understand, uh, especially for what I had and what you had, Charlie, that that's not going to be a privilege that most people are going to have unless they, you know, rent out the theater for their friends or themselves or, you know, see it at the drive-in. So obviously I'd have to say that, you know, Unless you take the utmost precautions or have such an experience with the film right now, or like I said, you live somewhere it's not the U.S., where it's a little bit safer to be going to the theaters right now, I can't say in good conscience that you guys should be going to the theater, no matter how we feel about the film itself. I mean, that's just kind of a kind of preliminary thing. I just want to say it from the top. Uh, you know, obviously, if this were a normal year, you know, saying you have to see a Christopher Nolan movies in theaters would be a given. But at this point, like, I, I don't think anyone should risk their safety or health. Or anyone else's that they know of for a film. So with that all out of the way, we can actually just talk about the film itself. Which, um, yeah, so this is... Um, you guys know which number of film this is for Christopher Nolan? Is this like his I think 11. 10th film? 11th? Yeah, I think, 11, I think 11 if you count the following. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, yes, obviously count following. I'm just saying a lot. Sometimes it gets missed because mm-hmm. it's gun gets forgotten or because it's yeah. shorter. So I think 11. And 11. Uh, with each film, obviously, he's gotten a little bit bigger a little bit more as far as like uh, budget and the scale. But I also think this one is a little bit more scaled back as far as the characters and as far as what they're trying to do in terms of the narrative, which I think is sometimes good, sometimes bad. But I want to hear from you guys first. So um, let's start with Charlie, because it sounds like you have a little bit more of a combative feel about this film. So I kind of want you to kind of get it out of your chest real quick. Here, okay, here's here's the deal. I want to set this straight. Just ahead of every conversation we're going to have tonight. I think this is a pretty good movie. I do not think it is an actively bad movie, despite what Corey may tell you, I think. <laughs> I think it's I think it's a good movie. You know, I don't have... I'm not sitting here like, oh man, this movie's terrible. Like, I think it's pretty good. Um, I think it's one of the most gorgeous looking action films I've seen probably since Fury Road. Um it's it's really really well choreographed the effects are phenomenal and that's kind of where it sucks to because of the moment we're in like you should go see this in a theater but also it kind of sucks because you should not go see this in a theater you know i hate that they 
that we even have to talk about that. But regardless, it's 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 gorgeous on a big screen. I mean, it's you really notice the realism of of you know of the effects. You know, the the fact that it doesn't have a lot of CG done to it. Like it, it all feels very real. Um, it it has one of Nolan's what I believe is maybe his most well choreographed fight scene he's ever done. Um, I think it's phenomenal. The score is is truly like transformative. L- Ludwig Göransson is one of the best musicians I think in film. I think he'll go down as one of the greatest of all time when it's all said and done. He's got a long way to go. He's only done a couple of things, but he, I think he's on that track. Um, and the performances are fantastic. You know, I, John David Washington should have been a star a long time ago, and I'm really glad people are finally starting to see it. And he just further proves it in this. Robert Pattinson is everything you want him to be. He's weird and fun. Um, it's kind of a bummer that he's Batman sometimes because I watch this movie and I'm like, oh, why isn't he James Bond? Um, Elizabeth Debicki, every time I watch her in something, I enjoy her more and more. Um, you know, everyone in this film, even even Kenneth Branagh, who I had a really hard time separating him from the man who directed Artemis Fowl for a while watching this movie. But he's great. I mean, everyone is great. And I think it's a pretty good movie. I have an issue. I'm As I've talked to Corey about before, I'm I'm a very story narrative driven person when I'm examining and looking at film. And I think just because I'm a writer, that's where I come from. And this had a lot of issues for me and it feels very, um, I can't remember way to put this. Like it, it feels th- there's almost a hubris sometimes to, to the way that Christopher Nolan writes a story and it's so heady and it, it wants just to be so complicated, so bad. It wants you to, buy multiple tickets and continue to go back to the theater just so you could understand what's going on. Um, the grand story, when it's all said and done, you understand what happened, but there's so many things that it's like, we're going to say a thing really fast, dump it and then move on. And then another thing happens. And it's like, how did that connect to this? What, why is this happening? This, it's not that I don't understand. It's just that you didn't, you didn't inform me. It's just like, you are intentionally wanting me to ask questions that are never going to be answered. It's one thing when that's the end of a movie like inception, where it's an open end. There are hundreds of these things littered throughout the movie. And I don't think you should have to watch a movie several times to really enjoy it. Um, you know, I, I think he's really, really in his own head in this movie very much. He's like inception and interstellar, but in a heightened way. And so I feel like while he is like mastered the technical aspect of, of directing a blockbuster, I mean, like I said, it's, it's hard to make a blockbuster that looks as good as this one. Um, I think that his own ego sometimes gets in the way of that technical mastery and, and it, it dampens the experience for me. It, it, it gets, it makes me really frustrated at times when I can see what he can do. And he like, he wants to do more of it when that doesn't seem like the right decision. It, it's hard to explain, but it's, it, it's very much, um, it's very frustrating. And like I said, I, I like the movie. I think it's good. But I do think it it ultimately is pretty flawed and and far from his his best work. I think when he's really contained, he does his best job. And this is no leash, no holds barred, everything Nolan's got from his mind. And I think that's that's a little too much. Yeah, I mean, in any other year, I would not feel bad about people having to see Christopher Nolan's films more than once to really dive into them and really get into the nitty gritty. But yeah, it's really unfortunate that this year... <laughs> is the year this came out because that's really not an option. Most people don't even really have the luxury to see it once. And uh, we should note that obviously we've all only seen this film once. We haven't really gotten the chance to see it more than once, which is I think what Christopher Nolan wants. But 
alas, that's the way things are in 2020. So Corey, or yeah, Corey, um, I'm getting a little mixed up because your names are kind of <laughs> contradictory. Uh, in our chat, uh, Corey has a very combative name for for his main chat. But uh, Corey, you have also seen the film. Well, and it's yeah. I have. Uh, you can also call me Charlie is wrong today. Um, that okay. is my uh, that's going to be my my maiden voyage name on the <laughs> on the SS Corey Woodruff for this podcast. Um, oh, man. Yeah. So there's a lot I want to say about it because it's a film I'm still processing. Um, it just it's a movie where like an hour in, I can't say I wasn't just completely overwhelmed and like just a little underwhelmed by what was going on um it was just like such a sensory overload of just stunning imagery and great craft like we've always seen with nolan but also this plot that just you know i mean it was i had heard people say it was incomprehensible and i've always felt that that's always been kind of an unfair criticism of nolan's work where it's just like it's not that it's hard to understand it's just you're not willing to put in the legwork to do it um, where it's just, I feel like, you know, for a filmmaker like that, I feel he gets criticized for comprehension in ways other filmmakers who've made similarly just mind confounding films have not. And I feel that it's also because that parallels with his status as a commercial filmmaker and as a very popular filmmaker and being kind of that quote unquote household name um, that he has become because of the dark Knight. So I say all that to say, uh, it's a film that I just about an hour in was just kind of like, I don't understand what he's trying to do. Uh, the film kind of moves at a breakneck pace. Um, they talk about just like beginning in medias race, but you literally just jump in. And the only things we see are just these very connective dialogue scenes paralleled with just like very Michael Mann-esque, like long takes of cities that we're very used with Nolan to do. And afford momentum action and just it just it was a strange thing because the character work was just not there i mean there was just there literally they he wasn't attempting character work it's just all the character work you could really get were just little nuances from the performances so i think in that vein i have to say you know for the first hour i was just very like oh i don't really know what he's trying to go for here and i have to be also very honest say I go back and forth on this, but I think he's my favorite filmmaker. He and Spielberg kind of go back and forth. I get that those are the most basic answers someone my age can give, but um, it's just, I don't know. It's just one of those people who was very formative in my development of film at such a, you know, impressionable age, like early high school, mid high school, you know, it's just, I think that's when you really kind of start to cut your teeth a little bit on what your tastes are and what your interests are and who you really want to emulate. He's like one of those goosebump filmmakers, as I call him. Like he's somebody who like when he makes yeah. a movie and he does it right, or at least does a moment right, he mm -hmm. just gives you that goosebumps that you want from a movie. And there are moments like that in here oh, for absolutely. me. At least. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think that's a wonderful way to put it. Like he just brings the sensation of movie making to life. It's just when I think about like, why, why do I like this so much and what makes it so cool? I think of like the 18 wheeler flipping upside down in the dark night, like the first time I watched that or the scene where he's standing over the rubble after the two buildings have exploded, like there's just so much about, you know, his, you know, the, the ending of inception, just, there's so many things that just are just big, you know, notch points in my development as a film fan that are Nolan specific. Um, you know, you, you remember the first time you go to see his movies. I have, I have a very, very, very deep relationship with this filmmaker. So for the first hour of Tenet, I have to say it was probably the least enjoyable I've ever 
experience I've ever had with one of his films. I just was very, very put off with not necessarily not being able to, you know, not, I wasn't upset, but it was also, I was just so lost. It was just like, I looked over at the person I was with and was like, do you understand what's going on? They are a science teacher. So their answer was yes, because they have a much better grasp over physics than I do. But there was a certain point in this um, without going into any sort of plot details. It's a car chase, I guess would be the best way to describe it, um, where it just started to really click with me what was going on. Um, and I could kind of begin to see all the mechanisms begin to spin and see exactly what Nolan was trying to do. And I think the second out, the second half of the film, that, that's about the midway point. And I feel like the second half of the film, the emotional stakes started to set in and you began to kind of piece together what these things meant and all the sequences that I thought were very technically impressive took on new narrative meaning. And by the end of the film, I was quite swayed with it. I was like, wow, I really like that. I really like the way he ties it all together. I really like the way that the story begins to kind of fold into itself. I just, I really appreciated the way he had kind of made the mechanics on this. And I have thought about it a decent amount in the last couple of days because this is the first time in half a year that I've had like a movie to think about in such a way of like, you know, like going yeah. to the movies and right. having that experience and an event. I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, yeah, exactly. An event. I, it's the first time I've had a film to really digest after experiencing it in the way that films are supposed to be seen. I am really taken with it. I feel that it is, I, I think it's a flawed film. I won't disagree with Charlie that I, I feel that I don't think it's Nolan's hubris as much as I feel like it is his ambition. Um, I think that he is trying so hard to continue to stretch the limits of what storytelling can be. And I feel that he just, I was kind of making a joke to Will about this the other day in our text message. I think that Nolan has the humor of an engineer but I think he approaches film like a scientist and I think he's trying continuously to push ground. But again, we should also be very clear. He is also trying to act as a, a fire and brimstone preacher for the cinematic experience. And I feel that this film, I think that at the end of the day might have been his main goal um, because this film is stunning to see in a big theater. Um, there are sequences in this where it's just like, I can't imagine watching this like on a TV for the first time, which I, I understand emphatically there are good reasons for that in this moment we're in. But um, but at the same time, like this is clearly his Bond movie. It's clearly his ode to some of the films he loved growing up that, um, you know, these kind of globe trotting spy epics and, you know, not to be too long in the tooth, but it's a film that I'm just so excited to watch it again and just to see everything in that first hour click in place and really be able to appreciate what he's done. Because I think narratively, it's actually pretty impressive. Um, from afar but at the same time you know as we were talking about earlier this is a terrible movie to put out in a pandemic because he has basically thrown out like a three triggered you know jigsaw puzzle you know handcuffed you know da vinci code twister of a film even though i think the linear plot's not that hard to understand when you read the wiki but just the mechanics of it and the way it's structured um it reminds me a lot of miami vice the michael mann film that it just it just jumps right into the action particularly that first act but um overall i would say i'm pretty positive on it but i i, I don't think it's one of his best movies but i think that anytime he kind of steps up to the plate and really flexes what he does i think he's definitively one of the most interesting and vital filmmakers we have yeah i mean i guess as i expected i'm ultimately somewhere in between you two in that 
when I walked out of this film, I guess now a week ago, I was of the mindset that I was like, okay, this is probably in my bottom three for Nolan, which doesn't mean that's bad. It's just that for Nolan, like kind of similar to Insomnia and Following, which are what are kind of closer to the bottom end of my Nolan ranking. I'm like, I like the movies, like I appreciate them for what they are. I just don't really feel like I got the full Nolan experience out of those the way I do with like Memento or uh, maybe to Charlie's Grin, The Dark Knight. Um, but yeah, I mean, with this movie, uh, I kind of have an issue I had with Dunkirk in that, and I know a lot of people like Dunkirk, so I'm not trying to dismay anyone who who did, but, and I liked it too, but I feel like this movie and that movie, like, they're kind of built like big wooden clocks. Like, I know they're ticking along as they should, like, there's this fine mechanics to it, like, everything feels very precise. The thing I like about this movie a lot in particular is that, uh, similar to Dunkirk as well, there's no wasted minute, I don't think. Even though it's like two and a half hours long, 150 minutes, I feel like every moment of this kind of felt purposeful, or there was a need for it narratively, or in terms of execution, or explaining the groundwork for the world building. Everything here felt like it had some ingrained need to be there. To the point where the movie can almost feel sort of too busy at times, because it's just like, no one knows there's not a second he can really waste with this. But as far as the movie itself, yeah, I do think, and I think I was talking about this with Corey, I, I do think this movie is just maybe a little too cold with the touch as far as its execution, because I do think from a directorial standpoint, everything no one's doing here is very precise. I really appreciate how it's uh, scaled back as far as the narrative approach. I really like that it does feel like a grand movie, but also feels very intimate. And it feels like there's like only a few like key scenes that he's really working with and a few characters that he's really invested in. But those characters do feel very stock to me. They do feel like to the point where our main character is literally called protagonist. It just kind of feels like he's there to service the plot. He's there to wear the suit. Uh, John Davis Williamson, John David Williamson does a wonderful job, I think, with the part. I th- Sorry, Washington. Washington. Um, sorry, what did I say? Williamson? Yeah, something. Yeah, I mean, it's close. It's close uh, enough. Son of Denzel Washington, of course. Um, And I think he's great in this. I think he's very charismatic. I think he's fun. And I think he um, I think there's a little bit of like some wry humor in this. That I, I find kind of odd the whole like humorless criticism that's been thrown around with this movie, because I think there is a sense of humor to it. It's just a very dry sense of humor. It's like the type of humor where it's like for a second, it's like, oh, it's a joke. OK, <laughs> it's like kind of like a like a slight chuckle kind of joke it's not like a movie where it's like gut busting less but anyway i digress this film yeah i mean i think from a technical standpoint which is what you two are saying basically is that i think it's hard to fault this movie as far as its narrative approach as far as like tackling really the um any of the faults that might be found with the approach of it i just don't think the film really gets that emotional sincerity that i think is in his earlier work i think counterbalances with the technical kind of precision and makes what I think is a really great film in that sense. Like it feels like he's kind of digre- uh, progressing and digressing at the same time. And that like, obviously his craft is excelling in so many ways and he is propelling himself as a filmmaker and constantly challenging himself and doing all these different things to make himself an even like greater technician. But something about his storytelling efforts just continue to feel lacking with his last few films. I guess that also counts Interstellar, which I like a little bit more than most. But I do think that one is flawed as well. So, yeah, I I guess ultimately I'm somewhere in between you two. I do recognize what you're both saying. I do recognize the great and the bad with this. But, yeah, I I don't know if I can really appreciate the way some people are. But I don't really fully vibe into the kind of more so-so to outright negative opinion so far. But. As far as like, I guess, so I brought the performances. It seems like you both are quite favorable on the performances themselves, at least. Right. If you may not love the characters. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, I, th- I think that 
Mm-hmm. The you know the the lacking part of this whole film is is the writing of it. You know the characterization, the the script, the story, all all of the acting. I think is is done really well. Uh, I think they all bring some. Great yeah, the only performance in here that I mean I like it, but like from a performance standpoint, maybe the only one. That Are you going to say Kenneth Branagh? <laughs> yeah, he's just like oh, yeah. he's evil Kermit. That. Hello, it's me, Kenneth Branagh, and I'm the bad guy. <laughs> he's just like. It's, yeah. it's literally <laughs> evil Kermit from Muppets Most Wanted. It's yeah. like Constantine. I know, and that—that's where I'm so confused. Is like you're—you're you're rooting for that, and it's like it—it it throws you off. Like it's it, the movie takes itself very, very seriously, and it's hard to take evil Kermit seriously as a villain. You know, it's—it's it, it's tough. No, I think in fairness to Branagh, while I think the performance is broad, he has some moments of sincere menace in this. Like there are moments where he oh, yeah, has, he, oh he has he has some big moments for sure. Yeah, like it's because Nolan's villain work has always been very good. Part of that is Nolan's technique. I mean, you know, he does a really really good job of intentionally putting Brana over Elizabeth Debicki, who is significantly taller than him, um, in a lot of scenes where you're meant to feel his anger. Um, you know, he really sets it up well to to make him feel like a powerful villain. And like I said at the top, I, I I truly think part of it for me is just the whole Artemis Fowl thing, which has nothing to do with this movie, nothing to do with anything other than I couldn't separate it in my head. And I, that's that's a me problem. That's not Nolan's problem. But like he would just yell and get mad and kind of twist his face up. And I'm like, Artemis Fowl. Yeah. <laughs> like I wish that I wish we would have delayed it and let Death on the Nile come out before <laughs> this. So we all could have just kind of forgotten. Sure. Again, that's not a criticism of the film. That That, that that's just funny to me. Is Branagh going to be like his new Michael Caine? Because it feels like Michael Caine is kind of like entering that retirement point in his career. And it just feels like Branagh is like a very Nolan-esque actor. And now that they've done two back-to-back, I wonder if he's just going to keep staying in Nolan's ensembles. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, who can say? I mean, it wouldn't be surprising. See, the reason I brought up Branagh in particular is that something I, I kind of figured would be addressed before, but I guess hasn't, is that there is like a very like Bond villain idea to mm-hmm. uh kenneth Branagh's character and his performance i think that's also why it's a little hammy as well is because it's kind of playing into that which i mean i know Corey, we've talked about this off the air but i want to hear from charlie as well like do you consider this to be as far as we've seen so far christopher nolan's like quote-unquote bond film i mean it's i think it's the closest he comes to that um and and that's part of what i think is i wrote down bond on my notes while Corey was talking because i've heard him bring that up multiple times i've heard other people bring that up and i think that's part of what adds to my frustration is that this is his bond spy movie and i think he kind of botched that with the with the grandiose story that he wanted the, like, to tell illusions you mean you know i i think that if he if this would have been played more straightforward this would have been one of the best spy movies that could possibly ever be made because of how technically masterful it is and because of how the, the talent that he had in front of the camera, you know, and in his, t- he, you know, he has studied Michael Mann, you know, so deeply and heavily, you know, Corey and I have talked a lot about how he is it was so directly influenced mo- a lot of Nolan's career. I mean, the dark Knight and this movie, especially, yeah. um, you know, and when you have these big, you know, globe trotting sets and, and these scenes like driving the boat, it's like, I love that. And I, you know, like I said, there's a fight scene in yeah. the first act. You guys know the, the, the scene right. in the kitchen. Very Miami Vice. Um, yes. And it's it's so, it's so good. 
and I was the opposite of Corey where the first hour I was in love with this movie. I was so invested in everything. And at the end, I think it was kind of just like, Oh, that was it. Well, damn, you know, like I, I thought that he was on to something and then moved away from it in favor of telling some big convoluted time travel epic when like, dude, you had like a perfect spy movie. You just wanted to do something grander. And I think it was kind of a, um, uh, what's his name? Icarus, the kind of thing. Like you, you flew too close sure, to the yeah. sun. You like you, you would have yeah. been fine, and you went too mm-hmm. far. Um, so yeah, I, mean, I think this is the closest he's come to a Bond spy type of movie. I would like to see him try that in a really, really grounded manner because I, as he proved with the couple scenes in this movie, like no one can touch him in in terms of of doing like those technical, like the car chase. No one has done. I mean, George Miller is the only one that I've seen lately do something like that. That was equally or almost as impressive you know it's just not something you see and when you combine that with clearly how much talent he has in hand-to-hand combat like he showed in that in that Mm -hmm. kitchen scene um and i mean you the way he characterized things like you don't have to the protagonist doesn't have to be super characterized bond isn't you know he can do that yeah and I'm, i'm i think i was a little bit disappointed that it started that way and then became something else because i was really enjoying what it was as that spy film. Sure, yeah. I mean, I do agree, though. There, There's the constant sense as you watch this film that no one is going like, well, is this enough? Like, are we doing enough or am I doing enough with this? Can I push this farther? Can I make it a little bit more dense in some way? And yeah, I mean, there is that sense that he is like, like you said, I think kind of convoluting it to the point where it's just like almost intentionally incomprehensible. But at the same time, like I was saying before, I don't feel like there's a moment here that's really wasted or any moment here that's like, oh, that could have been cut or like that could have been removed or something like. And and, and to to his credit, I mean, it I, this might sound surprising coming from me after everything I've said about this movie, but this movie could have been maybe 30 minutes longer. I think it was you know, initially. Like if he could if he could have there's some things, like I said, that aren't addressed or explained. And I think to me, I would have really benefited from if we're going to do this big story do it and give me all of it. So I have the complete picture. Um, I, I, I probably would have walked away with a better feeling, honestly, even though I, that's, and yeah. you know, not how a lot of people feel about movie length, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think any moment is wasted. I think he crammed too much into too. Yeah. Time. I mean, I, I would agree with that as well. Cause I remember hearing when this uh, was coming or being made. I mean that I think uh, Robert Pattinson said something along the lines of like, this is like a three hour film and it's going to be like three films at once or something. And I do remember like, there's a point without giving anything away where the movie like kind of turns and it's like pretty much around like the 90 minute mark. And I was kind of thinking like, Oh, like mm-hmm. is this going to be like 90 minutes of this one thing? And then 90 minutes of this thing. And it's like, that makes like perfect sense in a way, but it's like, Oh wait, this is not uh three hours long. This is, you know, like 150 minutes long. So I think that's kind of, I guess where I can agree with you in that, like the ending can feel a little bit truncated because of that. Like it kind of feels like he kind of has to wrap things up a little bit hastily or more hastily than I think he would have otherwise. And I think that that cuts some of the emotional aspects of the film that are, I think trying to seep out. Yeah, I, I totally yeah, they, agree. I think they're trying to come in towards the end, but Corey, do you agree with that? Uh, how would you present that question? I'm trying to think of what my best response would be. Okay. <laughs> so what's the question now? I can tell you Corey's going to say no, no okay. matter how you phrase <laughs> So like, um, like the end of the film without giving away what happens, there's like kind of like mm-hmm. an intended kind of like emotional undercurrent to it. And it's like kind yeah. of meant to be a little bit okay. deeper. And for, and for me at least, like it felt like the moments before that, like the, the, the climax in particular kind of felt a little like hasty and a little bit rushed to the point where maybe that's why, yeah. like, at least for me, like that didn't quite hit as hard 
as it did in this first viewing. Yeah. Do you do you think that might have been the the problem here? Or do you not agree with that read of it at all? The ending that's the interesting part of the movie to me because Nolan loves pull the rug out from under you endings. Um, I think that he basically he hasn't. I mean, I think the Dark Knight Rises has an ending like that where it kind of puts a big bomb at the end because he's so he he loves those little last yeah. minute no one loves his bombs like it, <laughs> yes he does yeah. i mean the like the last five minutes of the dark night turns the whole film on its head like uh interstellar interstellar is pretty you know they have like the denouement but um dunkirk the last you know set the shot of tom hardy kind of sets the theme in play um I think the ending here is everything he builds towards and i don't think the film works without the ending um, I, I think that this film completely relies on forcing you to shift everything of your understanding of what you just saw. saw. And I think that because, you know, there is something else that is required to change a perspective in how everything plays out. And because of that, I appreciated the film so much more because it's just like, he, I think no one really was trying here, as he always loves to do. He loves to kind of manipulate time and force you to rethink everything you just watched. Um, or he loves to kind of subvert your expectation for how this is supposed to go. Because by and large, Tenet is a very, even though the, the, the tech and the concept is very high maintenance, it's very high focus, it's very, I need to really take some time and read and digest what I'm watching the film's plot is very much a guy is recruited to stop a bad guy from ending the world. Like this is incredibly like you guys were talking about on that bond formula. Um, you know, Nolan is kind of playing tribute to that nameless hero of all the spy films he loved growing up and all of the big vistas and all of the big action scenes. And like, again, this film is very classical in the way that it is structured and the way that it is conceived. Um, yeah. But it's just, which is, in with uh, kind of I think why century, no, I was gonna say, I mean, like, even like the beginning, having like a classical like orchestra at the beginning kind of ties to oh, that yeah. theory as well. But sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. Absolutely. No, you're fine. No, I think that's a great point. Like, it, it is just, it's one of the very first films I've seen him make. Like, I think obviously Interstellar is his gigantic, like, you know, ode to both 2001 and Close Encounters. Because, um, I mean, obviously he has a very intimate relationship in his own past with Kubrick. I mean, he did the restoration on 2001, which I saw. It was very good. Um, but I think that the ending of this really is where I he invests every single emotional stake at the very end to where you have to rethink the entire movie and rethink every single character interaction, rethink how this reacts to that. It's just he's trying to do the inter- – I think when he had the top fall in – or or did it fall in, in, in Inception, he – I think as a filmmaker – had such satisfaction that that became a literal cultural moment, a literal like reference of film. It's like, Oh, this reminds me of the scene in Interstellar where the top maybe falls or not. Like he loves the gotcha stuff. And I think that that almost kind of simplifies his template of what his films are. I think Nolan sincerely is one of the best filmmakers of his generation. And I don't feel like fanboy or weird saying that. I just think he is a definitive talent to, has translated the way that we tell stories on a big canvas. I think he has a very, very underrated sense of understanding human current in the scheme of also having awe for kind of the grander parts of 
what scope can bring to a film. But I think he always loves to kind of subvert people's expectations for, I think that's why he made Interstellar 2 is because he's like, oh, you guys don't think I can make a movie about human emotion. This entire movie is about a father and daughter relationship. So, um, but I think that the end of it, the end of this film tenet is incredibly sentimental for what has what so largely this entire run was his like least sentimental film um you know yeah i I would say even more so than memento like this one just felt incredibly clinical and very formatively excellently made but there did it did lack like that little kind of ragged human element that i think all of his films have that i think gets overlooked at times when you kind of obsess over the finer details of his craft but then it just kind of like hits you at the end. You're like, oh, wow, that's interesting. And I, that's why I want to watch it again, because I want to see the film knowing that. Now, there's a very see, fair that, that's, point. I, I, didn't, I, didn't get that, I didn't get that in, in, interesting. What, in that ending. I mean, I, I got what he was trying to do, but I, did not, I didn't yeah. feel that. I didn't feel that emotional undercurrent. Like, I know the, the moment that you're talking about, and I, I'm not going to go into it to preserve spoilers for people. But yeah. like when those kind of couple moments at the end hit, it just was like, oh. Oh yeah, cool. You know, it just it 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 dropped off there for me because I think part of it is the way these characters are are written. There's there's not as much there, you know, to care about, and uh, you you constantly have Elizabeth Debicki, who is the most human character in the film. Um, you know, outside of her, like this moment doesn't take place with her involved, and you've got this one character who's who's visibly emotional over something that you have not witnessed and will not witness. Um, I hope that doesn't give stuff away, but it just, it kind of added to that. Like, Oh, okay. Like I see what you're doing. I get it. Is that like, that's where you're going to go with it. Oh, okay. All right. You know, it's, it, I thought at the beginning of the film, there was a lot of this emotional undercurrent because you've kind of felt with the protagonist, like what's going on. It was this fish out of water, like really terrifying experience for him. And you really got put in his shoes. And once all the, the inversion stuff started, it was just, it got really cut and dry. And that's where I think, Dunkirk really excelled was it was a similar like fast paced edge of your seat story playing with time plus subverting expectations you know but there were the stakes even though they were arguably higher in Tenet because we're talking about the end of the entire world as we know it with Dunkirk it was just such it was one of his most human stories I thought you know and maybe that was the actor and it was how he wrote the specific characters there but like I really felt the emotions in Dunkirk. I really understood where he was coming from and, and how he developed these characters, you know, uh, DiCaprio in inception is another great example. Like I, I really felt emotionally invested in that character and that made the film better for me. Um, this, and, and I, what, what, what's frustrating is that, you know, he clearly, like we said, took after Michael Mann and heat and in heat, there are these real deep emotional undercurrents. You know, these characters have a lot to them on you know, with the villains and the heroes have so much going on and you are invested by the end of it. It's hard not to just your heart aches for how miserable Val Kilmer is, you know, and and this just it lacked so much of that. And I think that really I had a hard time not having an emotional connection there at the end when it was set up to clearly have emotional connection. I just didn't feel it after the film that I'd watched. Yeah, I guess. um once again, I'm somewhere in the middle there where I, I guess, yeah, I do agree with you, Corey, in that I feel like Nolan's movies almost to a point where I think people kind of overlook this, like you said, do you have, for the most part before this, have had that emotional sincerity to it? Like, I especially think 
uh, in addition to films you two are talking about, Interstellar, I think for me, that felt like his most personal film to me, especially towards the end of that film. Like, that's where I felt like, OK, like this is clearly like no one sees something in this material like he, he there's these like, you know, far reaching aspects of the film, obviously the technical aspects of the film that he wants to achieve things that he wants to do as a technician that word I use again. But um, yeah, it's a film like when you see the end of Interstellar, or at least when I see the end of Interstellar, I'm like, OK, yeah, like this is where the filmmaker is really coming to shine. Like this is where the like emotion comes in for me like the emotion of that film really works at the end um and i think that really helped movie win itself and i guess for me yeah i mean i get ultimately what he is doing with this film and i do wonder like you said like maybe the second time around where i understand in full what nolan is doing here because so much of the movie before that is just you're kind of like being strung along for this first time and you're just going along like okay like, where is this going? Like, where is the string starting to unravel? Like, where is this going to lead up to? And then when you get to the end, it's like, oh, OK. Yeah, I'm ultimately kind of similar to Charlie, where it's like, oh, OK, like, that makes sense. Like, I get why you you made a film like this. I get what you're trying to say. But it's also like, I don't I ultimately don't really fully get the emotional impact either, where like, I think, yeah, like, I think similar to Interstellar for me, like it it once had that kind of like, oh, like, oh, wow, moment where, you know, you get hit in the gut. It's like, oh, OK, like this is the, the full grandeur of this story. And then I get that from a like intellectual standpoint with this film. I just don't really feel the emotion of it ultimately. And maybe that's something with a second viewing or a third viewing I would feel. But ultimately, at this time, I don't really get that. So, yeah, I guess I'm kind of close to Charlie, unfortunately, on that side of things. But. I really do appreciate what you see. And I think that is uh, something I'm really hoping to find in later viewings of the film. Yeah. And I think that that's the cool thing and the uncool thing about the nature of this specific film is that like, I've had moments in life where I've like watched a movie, like Steve Jobs is the example I always use where like, I didn't really gel with it, but I blamed myself more because I was tired when I went, I was like, I know this is a better movie than I got with it. And then I saw it again. And I'm like, Oh my yeah, this is one of Boyle's best films. One of my favorite films of that year. I feel with Tenet, it's one of those movies where like I'm so excited to get back in because I'm so excited not to need to have to catch up with the story. I've talked with Charlie about this, and I think it's to me the very, very fair criticism of this film is that, you know, the ongoing debate of is film supposed to be something that requires, you know, time spent with it. And I think that Nolan in a, I've called this his vanity film, and I think in a way he decided that, like, look, I want to make a movie that's very personal to me. I want to make a movie that is basically things that I like and things that interest me. And, you know, he's not making kind of an ode to his country. He's not really making, like, a personal story for, you know, the way he looks at his children or, like, being a father. He's not capping off this multi-billion dollar film series. He's not telling this high rope story that he'd been working on for 20 years with his brother, like, or I think Nolan wrote Inception by himself. Um, can't quite remember there, but Inception, yeah, he wrote this to me is like, that's right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, As but to me, attempt. this is like, oh, yeah, exactly. And to me, Tenet is, I think John David Washington very wisely is like an in law to Inception. Um, and like, I, this is the most, this is the most passion projecty movie i feel like he's made in a long time and i think nolan is one of those guys where like he's just always going to have the house money to play with and he's always going to be able to make the movies he wants to make because of just the history of what he's done and like i feel like the greatest filmmakers of all time all made one single movie that allowed them to build the careers that they did his just came like two four or five films 
into his filmography. I think Dark Knight, yeah, this is his fifth movie. Like, if you make a movie of that magnitude, of that much of box office impact, that much of awards consideration, that much of just cultural relevancy and cultural currency that has lasted a decade plus, when you literally change the way people approach making an entire genre of film, um, and you just reach that level of just universal acclaim, it's like you can do what you want for your career. Like, no one will ever not bankroll Christopher Nolan. Um, it reminds me of Tarantino in a way where it's like they're, they're some of the last guys that would be actively recruited by a studio given a much larger budget than most would ever be allotted for a original concept. Um, you know, like Tarantino can walk into Sony and ask for $50 million to do Hollywood and get Leo and Brad Pitt involved. And Nolan can go into Warner Brothers and ask for $200 million to make this convoluted spy epic that you know people really may have to like watch a few times to really appreciate um it's like can you enjoy film in that way and my answer is always yes i think that film the films we have are not you know they're not meant to be viewed in a vacuum um you know i feel that you know i'm looking at a poster of vertigo on my wall and i remember i had a hard time and i turned off vertigo the first time i watched it because i thought it was a little boring or i've had movies in the past like michael clayton where i tried to watch it when i was like a freshman in high school and i just could not get into it and then i watched it like in college for the first time uh as an adult and i was just completely swayed by it like i think our relationship with film changes every time i think that the way we engage with films changes like i, I never believe one viewing of a film should ever be counted as a definitive, you know, reasoning for what this movie is. And I think Tenet deserves the opportunity, like other movies have gotten, to be grappled with and appreciated and dived into. But to me, this is like the first studio movie in years, you know, that's like, you have to watch this again, or you're not going to be able to understand everything he did. And I think a lot of people that have been turned off by this film, I guess, have been turned off by it because of that. It's like, I don't have, you know, one, we're in a pandemic, it's hard to justify yourself going back and this is not available at home and won't be for a very long time but as a secondary thing i can empathize with folks that are like no we need to be able to appreciate this film for what it is on one viewing but i think the gamble of what he's done narratively is he's made a film that like literally it's like you're almost at a to be continued point when it's over to be able to fully grapple with everything that's going on which is it's unique well, and see th- that's that's where it gets frustrating to me because yeah i agree with what y- you said all through that like you know movie there are films that every time you watch you pick up new things or films that you understand but you know inception's a great example like you have a greater and deeper understanding and appreciation of inception the second and third time you watch it plain like there's there's no question about that i don't think for anybody but the first time i watched it I didn't walk away being like, well, this, I'm frustrated by how much he tried to do and how little he actually explained and how little he answered. You know, there was there was enough in there where it was so concise and so it made so much sense the first time. It just made more sense the second time. And there was more to find the second time. Whereas in this movie, it feels like the way it is structured, you truly cannot appreciate it or even enjoy it entirely until you watch it two or three times. And that's where I feel like the line should be drawn or, or at least, you know, that's, that's where it gets annoying to me is that like, I, I want to learn more the second time. I want to appreciate it more the third time. I want to go back and watch movies again, but 
I also want to be able to have a full experience when I go to a movie theater. I think that that's only fair when you're paying money. I mean, I didn't in the scenario, but when you're paying money to go see a movie, you should have that full theatrical experience without having to sit through and do it all over again and pay your money all over again. You know, I'm all for different experiences. I'm all for growing on multiple viewings, but there, there should be a line there, you know? I think that's where, you know, this film is going to be, I think this will be one of Nolan's most divisive films. Um, I think the general consensus seems to be most people fall on the line of, yes, I really appreciate what he's doing visually. I think there are a lot of things that are impressive about this in the way it's made, but it's like, I get that this is not his best story he's ever told, um, which I don't think it is. I think when I kind of rank this film, it will probably, well, I don't know, because there's so much in this film I was just enthralled by, but I, I probably would go around where I am with like The Dark Knight Rises, which I've had a very emotional relationship with that movie especially when it came out um my i wrote an article on it a long time ago but basically in that film i went to see it at a press screening and spent two days just going back and forth in my head of what what is happening because it kind of didn't live up to the expectations i had that were so grandiose and i saw it again at midnight with some friends and i'll never forget crying in the theater um, while alfred is apologizing to the waynes for i guess failing them with what's happened to bruce and I wasn't crying because of Alfred in that scene. I was crying because I thought Alfred was apologizing to me for letting, or, or like Nolan was speaking to Alfred for letting me down with The Dark Knight Rises not being as good as I would have hoped. It's sincerely one of the most embarrassing things I can ever admit to doing. But, you know, I, I think there's a certain point in every film fan's history where they begin to understand what expectations mean and what they do to the way we view things. And I think that was my kind of Waterloo moment of that, I suppose. But um, it just, everything kind of coalesces to me to where like, I did feel some of that disappointment when I first started watching this because I just, it began, I began to understand why the comprehension things were there. But like by the time I, got done watching it and spent some time reading about it and everything started to kind of aha moment in my head, I began to appreciate the film even more. And that's why I'm excited to just really grapple with this one. And I'll be honest, I'm not going to go back and see this in a brick and mortar theater anytime soon. Um, I'm going to choose the drive-in option um, for this sole sake that just like maybe now is not the best time to go see a movie twice in theaters. I feel like one time is much more justifiable in terms of kind of assessing risk than two um, to see the same thing. And it's hard because I would love to go find this in an IMAX one day or find a 70 millimeter print. Like I would kill for that. But, you know, to me, there is such a interesting conversation that's had about this. But I also think that film is viewed in a vacuum. And I'm never going to hold it against a movie if I continue to think and grapple with it in the moment because i don't consider at all like in retrospect my experience with this film anything but very positive and i think it's because you know it just it just grows in your head i i, I kind of thought today this film is kind of growing like a forest in my head like it's just it's growing like weeds like i i, I appreciate it more i go back and forth like well did i like this i like that but i think overall if like someone asked me should i should you see this i'd say overwhelmingly yeah absolutely get your butt to any way you could feel safe to watch it. But it's just, it's an unfortunate thing that I can't just run out there tomorrow and just like, like I normally would and just go see this and, you know, use my A-list, you know, to this dry of using this and go see it a bunch of times. But 
you know, there is that responsibility level there in like the pandemic sense that obviously takes paramount importance and takes priority. But, you know, um, you know, to wrap up my thoughts on this, I suppose I would just say that, like, I really, really am enamored with what he was doing here. And even if like, I don't think my journey with this film is nearly over yet. And I think that's what excites me is because I think what this film is about is that like in general, you know, time has always been something that's big for Nolan. Time is everything in all of his films, um, you know, particularly as of late. And I think as he gets older, time becomes more prevalent and becomes a much larger focus, especially in his last couple of films. And I don't think at all that it's dissimilar to say that post-Inception, he's made some of his most divisive works. I mean, Dark Knight Rises, Interstellar, you know, now Tenet, like three of his last four films. I, I think Dunkirk's pretty well regarded you know in general but you know these are very divisive films and particularly interstellar and tenet are so devoted on the human experience and how we view it and how we view time and i think nolan's challenge in this film is like don't just look at time as a construct in the way i craft a film look at it in the way you relate to this film look at it in the way of how the time builds afterward and as the characters are beginning to understand differently how time can work be willing to embrace a movie you may not understand at first because let it grow in your head be patient with it and i think that's a gamble on such a big canvas you know to me this is something more you would expect in independent cinema and something more you know off off brand by a very kind of exciting auteur filmmaker who's working with a minimal budget who's able to just narratively do what they want with no major box office restrictions but no one's doing that on the biggest canvas possible and i just i can't admire him enough because again i think my last point i'll make is that no one's making movies like this right now you know he's making non-ip 200 million dollar extravaganzas and he's the only director that can be able to do that I think Jordan Peele will get a few movies in more autonomy to be able to work with a budget like that since Get Out hit the zeitgeist so hard and has become like almost a dark night in of its own time. But I just really, really, really hope that he always has this availability to do that because I just, you know, and again, I feel like there, there could be other directors who would try to do this if they had the power Nolan did. And I sincerely hope that power spreads and becomes more equitable over time. Um, but I think in general, just, I, he's one of my favorite filmmakers and probably could be my favorite for a reason because he really is willing to make these, you know, extravagant box office, you know, smashes that also just push the limits of what film can be and highlights the presentation. So I'll shut up, but I just, I really admire this film. I can't recommend it enough. And even though I think it requires a lot of patience, I think the, the patience is reward tenfold. Sure. Also, I, you know, not to steal the airtime here, but isn't John David Washington really good in this? Like, he's really just, for all that Nolan puts on his shoulders, he's, he's very good in this movie and is responsible for so much of what goes well. And I thought he did a really nice job. Yeah, no, I think he's amazing in this. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, for all of us, all of us that have been watching Ballers from the beginning, you know, <laughs> we've been known knowing that like we we've we've always known uh so i'm glad he's like i said at the beginning i'm glad he's getting a stage this big and i'm glad that nolan is making these movies even though i didn't love this one like i'm i want there to be more movies where it is a big you know open opportunity with a large budget to make a giant blockbuster like i, I want those opportunities to exist 
Uh, so I want movies like this to succeed because I want there to be more of them, you know, and, and that's part of the frustration with beyond the movie, you know, why Nolan couldn't just suck it up and put this out next year when there's no fear of going to the theater multiple times, you know, like just, just deal with it and then see it in 2021 and we can go see it 11 times in one week and we can give you all the money because it's what you want. You know, he's ignoring the world around him. And so it's hard to call this this a human experience when he's ignoring the human experience presently going on. Like, it's really frustrating. And I think that that adds to my issues with the film in, in how we have to view it multiple times. It's like, well, you're not considering what our world is while you're releasing this movie. And, you know, if if you understand the great human experience so well, you would put it out at a time when we can watch it as many times as we want to. I will say there though, I think it's incredibly defensible to release the film on a global scale because a lot of global theaters right now are hurting badly with business because the U S is behind the virus. So I defend him completely and Warner brothers and wanting to get this film to global theaters so that the global cinema itself can begin to recoup the box office that it's lost. Because again, if theaters in New Zealand can play this completely safely, they shouldn't be held back because U.S. theaters and the U.S.'s handling of the virus is sorely lacking. Um, I have a little bit of a you know more complicated feeling on domestic terms, understanding where we are with the virus and understanding that there is much more inherent risk of releasing a film here and maybe in some other global markets um, that are still you know dealing with it, their own outbreaks. But at the same time, um, you know, if there really was not going to be any sort of major governmental, you know, availability for someone to release, um, you know, a, some sort of legislation that was going to help the theaters out, which doesn't seem to be the case right now, they were always going to come back at some point. And while I, you know, I think any decision right now to release something in a grand scale is fair to criticize, I just don't know if I can necessarily particularly get angry at him or i just feel that if this but, but, but that that's that's where i think you're wrong Corey, because it's not just releasing it right now it goes back to the middle of july when it was not safe in most places around the world and his feet were in the sand and said no my movie's coming out first my movie's gonna save the theatrical experience i do not want to move and there are reports from warner brothers where he was the one keeping it from moving and and that's that's where i get frustrated you know, like he was the one that said, nope, this is the movie that's going to bring people back. We're going to, you have to see this in the theater. We can't move it. It's got to happen. And, you know, eventually it came out beginning of September. It's safe most places in the country or most places in the world. Great. But that has not, it's, that's not like that's been his attitude through this whole process. His attitude has been, I'm the savior of cinema and I'm going to make sure that you see my movie first, the end. And that's incredibly frustrating when it's a movie that he clearly wants you to see again and again, you know, that that's, that's where it is a really hard pill to swallow. And, you know, I just, I, I don't think it affects what the movie is, but movies are a reflection of, of the world around us. And, you know, my experience watching the dark Knight in 2008 is different than my experience watching the dark Knight in 2020 because of what our world is. And I think that, if you're going to try to make some heady experience, you got to be aware of what you're putting it into. And I think that a lot of that nuance not isn't lost on him. He just doesn't, I don't think he cares. I'm not, I'm not going to be one of those people. Like you see people on Twitter of like, Oh, Nolan's trying to kill us. And that's, that's ridiculous. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. He's a filmmaker. He wants you to see his movie. I get that hundred percent. And I love the theatrical experience. And I think countries that 
dealt with the pandemic properly should get to see it. But I also think that this is now September and I'm talking about the whole experience from the beginning of the summer onward, his outlook on this whole thing. And it is, it is really, it, it's hurtful to, to think that like, oh, you, you think this highly of your art, but not this highly of the world you're releasing your art into. And it, it does, I think, affect my outlook on the film even just a little bit because it's such a, a highly technical film that you have a you have to see in theaters and B you have to see more than once. Yeah. Ultimately it is it. Like you said, uh, Charlie, it, it's a very tough pill to swallow to know that Nolan is the guy who's like insisting that this be in theaters. And it's not that I'm mad that he wants to put it in theaters. It's like you said, like it's that it's now like I would not, if uh, hopefully things a year from now, who knows are better. And I would feel like more comfortable if they had just pushed it back to 2021, because like, if he's so worried about spoilers coming out, if he's so worried about the theatrical experience and stuff, like why not just have that time pass? And it's like, you know, like, I mean, I understand the idea of like wanting to save an industry that that's on a potential decline right now, but it's also like, yeah, it's like, this is not like as much as we love the movies, obviously cinemaholics, it's like, people should not feel like it may be life or death literally to see a movie. And <laughs> it's just unfortunate that we have to have this discussion now, even though like as much as we can revere or have criticisms of Nolan. Uh, yeah. It's like that, that, that is an unfortunate thing to have to deal with. And obviously it's something we have to discuss right now because it's such a part of the movie's conversation right now in 2020. But alas, yeah. I mean, as far as the movie itself uh, and my thoughts on it, I, I do think this isn't incidental as far as this movie coming out the uh, 20th anniversary of Memento and the 10th anniversary of Inception. And I do agree with you, Corey, that like I think time is such a prevalent part of Nolan's movies and the idea that like each one of his films, are at least of late, have been kind of reckoning with the idea of like not having a control of time or like trying to take control of time. And like, in this case, like literally having <laughs> control of time. And uh, yeah, as far as his filmmaking is concerned, it, you know, it's very precise. It's very tightly knit. Like you said before the precision of an engineer, the uh, logistics of an engineer as well. And the technician of that level, I think that's very apparent here. And I do think as far as the movie itself, like I think, what has endeared me to it is not so much that it is complicated, but the fact that like this movie itself, uh, something I haven't really gotten discussed yet is that there is for all the like technicalities of it, a sort of dreamlike quality to the film that I really admire in that like even more than I think maybe even Inception, there is like this kind of like dreamy quality or like kind of inherent logic I felt at times to it where it's like even when I'm not fully understanding like what's all happening at this moment, like I was totally with it throughout. Like I just was like, okay, yes, we're doing this because we have to do this, this, and this. And there is that, I think, sort of simplicity, I guess, maybe that's not the word, but, like, there is that kind of, like, vlog through throughout where I, I never felt, like, fully, like, the movie was just, like, I'm totally out of it. Like, I don't know what's going on. I think, in that sense, that's what I think compels me throughout, and that's what I think, even beyond, like, the fact that, like we said, as far as an action director, this is some of the best stuff he's done. I think at least, like, two or three key scenes are some of the best things he's done as a director, and I do agree that, like, the story of a... I, I do wish it was a little sharper. I do wish like as much as I appreciate what he's doing as callbacks to a genre of old where like the hero is just kind of a means to an end or, you know, literal audience or get to kind of be in this cool movie with cool characters. Like I do wish there was something a little bit more there. And I think there is like Corey has mentioned, I just didn't fully get this first time as far as the emotional aspects of it. But uh, yeah, overall, I mean, 
grade wise, I would give this probably like a pretty low to firm B. Like I think it's a solid movie. If uh, you can see it safely, either at the drive-in or you can rent out a theater or see it in a theater with very few people or just wait for it at home. I think it's something worth seeing. Uh, I do think it's a film that even though like obviously we've mentioned already, there is very frustrating aspects about it. I think there is something also very rewarding about it. It's something that when you revisit the film and think about it more, at least for me, I do get something out of it. I do find something very interesting from a contextual standpoint. And uh, I do appreciate Nolan's whole deal. I mean, it's easy to make fun of the guy, especially with this film. It feels like a lot of his uh, weakest, uh, hmm. his biggest flaws, I guess, can be nitpicked throughout this thing. And they, they do kind of shine a little bit brighter than I think they do in some of his other movies, at least for me. But as far as... Uh, his technicalities and as far as his ability to make a really solid, fun uh, action blockbuster uh, with $200 million and kind of uh, do it in a way where I don't think about the special effects. I don't think about the like hundred different people on computers making something with green screens, but like actual real effects, like with a plane that flies into a building. And like, like you said, this car chase scene, that's just amazing. And I can't even figure out how they did it. Uh, you know, that's what I like about the movies. That's why I like about Christopher Nolan as a filmmaker. And I think by and large, that's here. And while I don't think this is his strongest work, I do think it's what you want from a Christopher Nolan movie. And with that in mind, I, I think it's a solid time and I enjoyed it. But uh, did you guys give your grades? Yeah, I don't think you have. Or have you? Yeah, I, I have say. not. No, I, I mean, I'm obviously a pretty big fan of it. I'm, I'm really excited to dive back in. Um, I think that you know, I think it's pretty unassailable in its technical achievements and just like crashing a gigantic plane or doing just like a mind-blowing car chase sequence and just the the layers of the way the story folds i just i i think technically it is an incredibly impressive that opening sequence we haven't even talked about is just really really good at the opera house just like just to drop you right into the action um but i i i empathize with folks who are frustrated about the narrative um i am ruminating on it i'm spending time thinking about the way that's plotted out and i don't come away at all as kind of flummoxed as i was in the moment it's just a movie i really enjoy more in retrospect which i think is a mark of a film that just like really lives with you and stays with you which i think is a mark of really good cinema so i would probably go a minus um you know in terms of nolan's work i think there is like this elite stratosphere of films like dark knight inception memento um interstellar i would put in that camp dunkirk like i think that are just his like great 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 movies i think this is like the tier under i think it's like second tier nolan but at the same time it's like second tier nolan is still like better than a lot of things um so you know i, I give it an a minus I, I really like it a lot and you know as much as i don't begrudge him for wanting to get it out there and helping a lot of these particularly international theaters out that you know needed to be able to get business going again in a big way. I also feel like that the biggest thing I'll say is just that I have found myself at a point where I'm just kind of like, you don't have to see this in a theater. Okay. You can still wait a little while, watch this at home, soak it in. Like as much as I am a devout follower of the theatrical experience, it's a movie. It's not a life or death situation. It is not going to the grocery store. Like, Please stay yeah. home if you at all have nerves about this. Like, yeah, it's just it's it's not as important to like conflate it because like again, I, I think you could watch this movie at home and still have the exact same reaction to it. Not to say that I think the actual experience adds because it absolutely does. It's the proper way to watch a movie in terms of the form, but we're in a pandemic. Like, just if you know, use your own discretion, obviously, but like, don't feel that 
if you don't see this in a theater because of any sort of situation that you're going to lose the film because you'll still be able to get a lot out of it in any way. Yeah, I mean, it's like in any other year, obviously, like we'd be like, what are you talking about? You have to see Nolan's movie in the theater. It's meant for the theater. But this year is obviously no, not like most years. And uh, yeah, it's 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 an unfortunate reality that like, you know, if they're as much as, you know, this is meant to be seen on the big screen. I think you, no one obviously wants it to be seen that way. I don't think anyone should feel like they, they have to be pressured to see it. Uh, they have like it's like make or break you know or, or like they they won't get everything out of the movie if they don't see it in theaters like I, I don't think anyone's lives or well-beings or the health of anybody uh who sees this film or anyone who knows anyone who saw this film should be jeopardized or at risk just because it's, they want to see a movie like i don't i i think ultimately you know if you can honor the most extreme of precautions perhaps but i mean at the end of the day it's a movie like you said so nobody no matter, like we said, of the film, I know I keep saying this, but I, I feel it's somewhat important. Uh, you know, no one should feel like they they are obligated to see a movie right now. But if you can see it in a safe way, by all means, it's a fun film, I think. But Charlie, what, what grade do you give this film? Um, I mean, I'm I, I feel very similar to Corey and I think this is a second tier Nolan movie, you know, and I do think second tier Nolan movies are, are pretty good movies. But I do think that there is a much larger gap between top tier Nolan and second tier Nolan than uh, than Corey does. I think there's, you know, I think there's a, a much, the difference is much larger. Um, you know, it's not vast. I don't think, like I said, I don't think they're bad movies, but you know, I think they're, they are significantly less. It's not like, Oh, they're like, they're, they're almost as good. Like they're, I don't think they are. Um, so I, I'll probably go like a B minus with this. Like I, said, I still think it's a, it's a passing grade. It's a grade that if I was a student, I'd be happy to receive. Um, but you know, also I, I don't think it's top of the class. I don't think it's, the valedictorian of Nolan's work. It's, you know, I think he's, he's been much better. And that that's, that adds to part of the frustration with this is, you know what he can do. And even when he gets all in his head, like inception, I still think is one of his very best movies. Um, even rewatching it recently, I, I think inception holds up incredibly well. And I think he really balanced being in your head with reality and with grounded action and storytelling and, um, emotion. Um, I just, I think this, I think this lacks a good bit of that, but at the end of the day, it is still a really spectacular film to see. Uh, and I haven't, I don't know if I'm going to like this more or less on the second time, you know, cause a lot of times when I think about it, it's sometimes I'd like it more. A lot of times I feel more frustrated, um, at the whole, at the whole experience. So, uh, I, I do look forward to seeing it again and seeing how it changes my attitude, but uh, you know, for now, it's a pretty good movie and I give it a B minus. All right. Yeah. So that was a, uh, I guess, maybe a little bit more civil conversation I was anticipating given some of the uh, <laughs> anxiety I had. I, I had these boxing gloves and everything set up, but, you know, I think we handle it pretty well. And I think we all I hope everyone got to make the points they wanted to make about the film. Is there anything else that you guys wanted to say about it before we wrap up? I, th I think we've covered it. It's been about an hour or so, so. Oh, we didn't talk about the suits. The suits. The suit oh, my gosh. The, all the suits they were wearing, those they, full they are quite suits. good suits. Mm -hmm. Oh, these, these are um, handsome suits. This is like, and Michael Caine's Brooks Brothers dig was, oh, that's like one of my favorite lines in the whole movie. Yeah, that was I mean, good. That's like Nolan's humor in a nutshell. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was like the scene where I was like, okay, so like this movie definitely has some humor. It's just a little bit more. Yeah. See, like I said, that first hour, man, that has it. That first hour has it. I love it. I like. Put more Michael Caine in the movie. Put more of that dry goodness in the movie. Like that, 
that was a spy thriller that first that, like it before it got sci-fi and out of it and, and you know out of hand that I love that. I, that was a great scene. It was a really yeah. I mean, I guess it kind of goes back to the Bond thing. I think like he's just kind of meant to be our cue here. Like he's just kind of like here's some. Well, I guess there's also an actual cue earlier in the movie as well. But um, yeah, it's just kind of like here's what you need to know. This is what you should be wearing. Have fun, kid. <laughs> it's just like yeah. I, I mean, I appreciate you know. I always will value Michael Caine in a movie, especially in a Christopher Nolan movie. But I think I think he was serviced well. I, I really I really would not be surprised at this point if. Christopher Nolan was announced as the next Bond director. I, I really would not be surprised. Yeah, I guess it depends on what's going to happen know? with um, No Time to Die. I mean, because, yeah, I mean, Craig's Craig's done, which means, you know, I don't think Carrie Fuganaga wants to do this Doesn't again. Doesn't sound like it. Um, and, you know, with a fresh slate, with someone he can, you know, I don't know if he'd want to commit to a whole trilogy or whatever like he did with Batman, but he clearly loves spy films. And I, I, I would not be surprised if Nolan made a Bond movie. And I think Nolan would make a fantastic bond movie and I'd, I'd really like to see it um but yeah just the the timing of it kind of is interesting this is my opinion on that is i already i think we already have the christopher nolan bond movie <laughs> i think sam mindy's beat him to it um i think i i I, ne- I do i don't ever think nolan's gonna do bond i think that that'll be like the last thing he'll ever do and i think precisely because um he doesn't want to do another the bond IP. movies I don't know. If, I think he could do another IP. I just feel like Bond for him is almost just like too. It's like it's almost too obvious. It's kind of like we've been like it's kind of like the director impairing people have been waiting for for a long time, which you like never get. And I feel like this is his version of doing that style of film. He, he loves to bounce around genre, and I feel like he's gonna do something completely different after this. But I, I think the reason being, I also feel a little bit like <laughs> Sam Mendes is like always kind of like. I don't know. I don't think they're direct, like related, but obviously the dark Knight is a huge influence on Skyfall. And, you know, there is enough Dunkirk in 1917 to make it count. And I just wonder if like Christopher Nolan's like sitting over there, like stewing, like, damn it, Sam got me again. <laughs> Why, just get your own movie, man. But, sure. um, you know, I just, uh, I don't know. I, I just feel like in terms of him doing bond one day, I, I don't think it will happen. I mean, I would be, I would welcome it, but at the same time, it's like, I feel that there's just almost too much. We would just, we kind of wouldn't know what we were going to get before we got it. And if anything about Nolan, I think he's interested in trying to top himself after the last movie. And I think Bond would almost be for him kind of like a, uh, I don't know, maybe too safe. I'm not sure. Who knows? Maybe, maybe. I feel like, I don't know. It's an obvious pairing, but it's just also kind of like, I kind of wonder if, he's just he's done that now now that he's made tenet like he's made his bond movie and he'll like move on to something else uh yeah i mean i think for me i mean as far as i can tell i feel like bond is like that nice car in the garage for him that like it's like an antique and it's like really well refurbished and it drives real smooth but he's very nervous to drive it (laughs) Cause he just doesn't want anything. Mm-hmm. Like he just likes the idea of that. Like the idea that like at any point, like, cause obviously if he went to like this, like the producers and was like, Hey, I'd like to make a bond movie. They'd be like, Oh, no question. Here you go. Like you'd obviously mm-hmm. be great for bond, but I feel like he's like almost too nervous to like get in that car because it'd be like, if he screwed it up or if he did something wrong with bond, like he'd never forgive himself. I think like, he'd be like, what have I done? Like I I've ruined something that I love so much in his view. I think that's that's my guess. I don't know. I mean, I don't know no one. I don't know him, uh, him from Adam as far as a person. But um, but I I feel like that's my read of him as a. 
Yeah, I mean, like I, said, I could be totally off base. I just, you know, I look at the timing and obviously his style and his influences. You know, it just, I think it just presents an interesting, interesting topic of conversation yeah. because it, everything kind of, this is the one time that it feels like everything is lined up. And if he was going to do it, it it would be in the near future. Like that, this is the one opportunity where everything is aligned. Yeah. This is, this is the time if there's a time. So I'm just interested to see what happens next with his career and with, you know, I'm a big fan of James Bond. So I'm obviously interested to see what happens next with, with that. Yeah. Thing. I mean, this is actually something I meant to address earlier, but I do think, I mean, I, I would hope that, um, you know, maybe it's me being a little bit presumptive or a little bit too clinical, but I would hope that, you know, Christopher Nolan has like 20 or 30 years more films in him. Like, I think he's about 50 now. So like, hopefully at least, you know, for the next two decades, he's still making movies. So if that's the case, this would be the very much a like kind of midpoint film in his career. And uh, if that's the case, I think that's intentional. Like it feels like this is like kind of meant to be like that, like middle of the road point for him where it's just like, he's, you know, obviously like the end is beginning and beginning. The end is kind of like the concepts of the film here and the themes are very much about that in some ways. So um, I, I do wonder that as well. Like I was thinking about that throughout this film as well. I was like, is this kind of like what we should expect from Nolan more in the future? Is this kind of like a like cap point in some ways? Like, is this like him kind of like going for like certain, like in some ways kind of tying up some ends and going like in a different way in the future? Cause you know, like it's kind of interesting that this film and Dunkirk, like, you know, Dunkirk felt like very much like a kind of more like tightly rich film. Like it meant to be like, you know, like a 90 minute kind of crackerjack film. So it's like, this kind of feels like him returning to like kind of the more expansive films, but also kind of has that like tightly knit plot and also, you know, all the convolutions, like we said. So it, it, I am very curious as well, like what Nolan's strategy is moving forward. If he even knows, I don't know, but I would, I would definitely, uh, if it is safe and reasonable to do so, see a Nolan Bond movie in theaters it wouldn't be in question in a uh, safer and hopefully friendlier world uh you know I would, I, would, I would jump at the chance to see him doing it but I don't know if I I could definitely see if if he wanted this film to be his Bond thing to kind of get that out of his system that that would take that would make total sense but yeah you never know yeah who knows but uh with that I mean unless anyone else is saying additional things to say I think that's a good place to wrap it up for this uh, extended bonus episode of Cinemaholics on Tenet. Uh, like we said before, use the utmost discretion if you are planning to see this film in the U.S. or any country where it is not uh, totally safe and COVID-free. Um, but, you know, obviously, if you do get a chance to see it, I think you'll probably like it, or at least you'll get something out of it, hopefully. But uh, from the internet, Pennsylvania, I'm Lashin. And from the internet, Tennessee, I'm Charlie Ridgely. And from the internet in Tennessee, 30 minutes from Charlie, I'm Corey Woodruff. (laughs) All right. See you, everybody.